guys, I hadn't seen this movie until I had to see this movie. And man, did not need to see this movie. The golden now age your of life cinema. Is so much better. No, it is. It is not your better. Eyes I'm going to hopefully. Opened. Welcome to the What's Our Verdict podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-host, Matt Tenheider. Better red than dead. And Alec Burgess. Let's get it. We appreciate your help going on the podcast. Go and hit that follow subscribe button. Tell a friend about us. Go check out our website, whatsourverdict.com, where you can listen to all of our episodes. Sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive content and updates. Pick up some merch and interact with us. The question we always ask, if you ever find yourself wondering if you spend the time, money, or both on a movie, to help with that question, each week we put a movie on trial, discuss the facts, pass judgment, and let you know our verdict. Before we jump into what we're reviewing, we had mentioned in a couple of past episodes, we're going to be changing some things up. Not every week is there a great new movie coming out, and we forced some real turds in the, the pursuit of new movies over the last two years at times, so... We are going to change that up a little bit and we're going to, not going to review every new movie just because it's a new movie. So we're going back and we're going to dive into some of our old favorites individually, some movies that have been out for a while. And this is the start of that. So today we are reviewing The Maltese Falcon. It was released August 18th, 1941. It was written and directed by John Huston. stars Humphrey Bogart, Mary Astor, Gladys George, Peter Lorre, Lee Patrick, Barton McLean, and Sidney Greenstreet. San Francisco private detective Sam Spade takes on a case that involves him with three eccentric criminals, a gorgeous liar, and their quest for a priceless statuette, with the stakes rising after his partner is murdered. If you haven't seen this movie, what the fuck's wrong with you? And if you want to avoid spoilers, go ahead and check out our... Uh, we will not have a spoiler-free review for a 1941 film, but <laughs> if you haven't seen it, follow the podcast, go watch this film. Come back, pick up where you left off, because we're going to spoil the shit out of this thing. Oh, JJ, you said something there. If you haven't seen this movie, go F yourself. Like, yeah. come on, guys, the common folk. We don't know the average age of our listener. Maybe we have metrics for that. Guys, I hadn't seen this movie until I had to see this movie. And man, did not need to see this movie. The golden now age your of life cinema is so much better. No, it is. It is not your better. Eyes I'm going to hopefully... Opened? Don't watch this movie, everyone. But is can I see why some of it makes it a classic? Just because it's a classic, because it was one of the, I don't even know where to start. Just Alec, tell us you why liked, you like this movie. Because uh, Alec well, picked this movie. Yeah, well, I love this movie. It's top ten. But you liked Murder on the Orient Express, right? And Death. Yeah, on the it Nile? was way better than this movie. This movie crawled so those could walk. It's true. This is the same exact movie. And that, with that rationale, I'd, I'd rather walk than crawl. So let me just get <laughs> oh, right to please. it. Please. There wouldn't be those movies without if the If babies could Falcon. just walk, they wouldn't crawl because then they could get into more stuff and eat more food and stuff their cheeks and get thunder yeah, thighs. They're they not just going to crawl attention. everywhere. <laughs> they like Jeez, to call that, that, attention that, seeking. That type of argument is going to get nowhere with me. I might as well just call a phone a friend and get Javier and he to stand in for me. He wouldn't. He, he didn't even need to know anything about this movie, and he could still crap on it. <laughs> it's because Javier is a professional crapping on anything. <laughs> you know what this? You know what this movie reminded me of, though. And this is going to be funny because I'm a legacy joke here. I'm making fun of myself. It reminded me of Gilmore Girls because the dialogue. I can see in that regard that this movie leaned heavily on that. And there were some very well-delivered parts. I think my hardest part with this movie, because the dialogue was really, I mean, well-acted, 
I think was witty. You had to really be thinking and it required you to be attentive, but at points I wanted there to be like the twist didn't hit for me. I wanted there to feel more of like a detective nature in some senses. I don't know. It just, it didn't land for me. I kept, I don't know. I just didn't feel attached to it. Well, he's playing the detective the entire time. That's why he's always asking O'Shaughnessy. You got to tell me more. What happened? I need to be in your corner. And he's doing the same thing with Peter Laurie as Jor Cairo. He's like, hey, I had to side with her because she knows where the bird is. Like, now you got to live with me. So he's playing the detective the entire time. Yes, but I think Humphrey Bogart's delivery for me, just it wasn't... I need more facts along with it. This was his first kind of real starring mm-hmm. role. Previous to this, he kind of played that two-bit gangster, you know, yeah. like, uh, what's up, guy? Yeah. Uh, kind of a gunslinger type thing. And he stepped into this role. And so Humphrey Bogart is a really small dude. He's like five feet, mm-hmm. or he was like five feet, eight, eight inches tall. And this is the golden age of like rugged leading men. You've got Clark Gable over six feet, Errol Flynn over six feet, Jimmy Stewart's like six foot four and a giant... <laughs> yeah. And so you got this little shrimp of a guy and he, he plays these characters. A lot of times he's wearing platform shoes as he's delivering this iconic dialogue because his co-stars, Mary Astor, she's taller than he is. Mm-hmm. You can't have that in an old cinema film. So almost all of his scenes, he's wearing high heels or he's standing on a box. You almost never see below his waist in any film that he's in because he's such a short dude, but you'd never know. Yeah. But we still can't have that today because you'd believe Tommy Cruz was like 6'3". Good old 5'7". he's 5'7". Yeah. You know, yeah. I think for me, and this is why, so I didn't really enjoy old movies like this when I was younger. One of the things that Casey really did for me was kind of convert me to understanding the difference, at least for me. And that, look, they're not for everybody, and I get that. But I've always been a big fan, and I've talked a lot about it on this podcast, is great acting. And how that really impacts a movie. And for me, the old movies, you didn't, you couldn't rely on special effects. And I think that's one of the things that I hate about modern cinema is we're leaning more and more into where we rely so heavily on special effects that the acting sometimes can take a back seat. And as much as I, you know, love the Marvel universe, that doesn't help it, right? We have so many Marvel entities and we have so many DC now and all these movies that really, there's some great acting in it. But there's also a reliance on special effects that makes the acting less important because even if the acting isn't good, there's usually something visually or something like that that's stunning and and makes the movie worth watching. And that's great. I think it's, it's where we're at, and I love that. But going back to something like this where they couldn't rely on that stuff because they didn't have it. It wasn't even a thought in their mind. The most special effects for them is how do we make this not look like a piece of fucking wood with that's dressed up like a street corner, right? Or something like that. So it's, it's really impressive to me. And you mentioned it, Mattson, where these guys have to get in a room and carry a scene based on dialogue, based on making these characters interesting. And while sometimes it's hard to watch because it's black and white and it's letterbox and it's, we can go back to talking about the great aspect ratios on a movie and and they didn't do widescreen back then because you didn't even have a tv in your house back then so i already knew this this was going to be the case not holding against the movie because technology didn't allow for it zach effing snyder has the technology and decided to step back in time the pompous ass bitch 
over there. I so that's all I'll say. I curse for the first time. I'm not going to do that again. He just brings it out of me. So this just, movie, no, it is what it is back then. They don't, they're yeah. not aliens. They're not traveling in the future to get those 16 by nine aspect ratios. So <laughs> it's, it's all good. I just think it was, I think a lot of it too was the dialogue of the time as well. I I had to use more brain power to understand like, uh, they, they definitely have their phrases back then sure. uh, that are not things that we say today. And at times I just felt like I was getting a little bit lost on, well, what are they actually saying here? And they're saying it in a way that isn't, in my opinion, as direct as the way I would understand it. But back then that's probably how it was said. And, and so I think some of those things I wasn't as prepared for, and it threw me off. And at times I felt like, well, why doesn't he just say it this way? Cause they're trying to take some kind of gaudy wordy way of saying it. And I know that's probably how they said it back then, but it was kind of a turnoff for me, but, I know that's more just a period of the time. And if those people watched a movie from today, they'd be like, what is going on? So it's the same thing. I think it's me not understanding the the period of time. This wasn't a bad movie. It's just not my flavor. And I think that's what I, I came... And I've seen some older movies. That's just what I kept coming back to. It just wasn't my flavor. I just couldn't get fully into it. Was it well acted? Oh yeah, absolutely. Was the dialogue phenomenal? Absolutely. Was the story compelling enough? Yes, but I was also kind of always slightly confused because of just understanding the the verbiage that they used in that period of time. Sure. Completely fair point. It's hard to get a hold of because yeah, it's the forties. And at this point too, Hollywood had only been like having talking pictures for maybe a decade and a half, 15 years and maybe even less. So you know, they're still kind of working out the kinks for all of that stuff. And everybody was playwrights acting on a stage and having to come over and change almost what they're doing. And the guy who plays uh, Gutman, Sidney Green Street, mm-hmm. this was his first film. And he like had a very short career, but he ended up becoming, I think he's the inspiration behind the Kingpin in Spider-Man. He is. It comes from this film and the way that he played his character. So he's like a super iconic golden age of cinema kind of film star, but he almost, he was only in film for like eight years. Mm-hmm. Like when did Singing in the Rain come out? 50s, 1951, yeah. those are, So I've, I've started to watch, like Taylor has gotten me into having watched some of these older movies and some of the musicals and such. And it's that time period where like Singing in the Rain is a good instance where the dialogue there and things like I understood it. I got where they're coming from. It didn't feel as proper. It felt just more of, okay, this is a, this is a movie. This is a film. It had all of what Maltese Falcon had, but it, it just felt more, I don't know, real to me down to earth. Colorful. (laughs) Colorful. (laughs) Yeah, that too. But I think for me, it's like fifties and above is really when that starts to hit. Cause some of the James Bond movies are what late sixties, very early seventies. Those are good Mm -hmm. movies. I don't know. I just, I think for me, the Maltese Falcon is, it's like you said, Alec, where they were learning, they had to crawl before they could learn to walk. And the more that you kind of said that, that's how I view this movie. It had strong fundamentals, but a lot of the polish for me wasn't there yet. And it's to be expected. Sure. I'm a little bit biased because I love Humphrey Bogart. Mm -hmm. And then the stuff that he did with Peter Lorre and Cindy Greaser, because they were in quite a few films together. Yep. And they like that trio is just awesome because they all have a very distinct kind of voice that sets them apart. And they always play almost like the same character and they just fit so perfectly together that when they share a screen, I just love it. Weren't they all in Casablanca too? They're in Casablanca and there are one more in like 46. I don't remember the name of it, but 
So the three of them were together in three movies. And then Peter Laurie and Sidney Greenstreet did like 10 movies together. Okay. And then Peter Laurie and Humphrey Bogart were in like six or seven. So gotcha. they were very familiar with each other and each other's acting. They were all pretty good friends too, if I were. Probably. I mean, the actor pool wasn't like it is now. Like not everybody and their mm-hmm. dog was trying to be an actor back then. So you, you saw had a lot to of. Do the stuff on your resume. There was no stunt doubles. Yeah. And that's, and, and I think, I, like you said, Casey really got me into it. Like she's a huge fan of like every Christmas, like we watch the. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. And I, I, cause I can never think of the fucking name of this movie. Cause I always say <laughs> Merry Christmas movie house. That's what we call it. Cause this dumbass is running through this Merry Christmas movie house. And so I just fucking love that shit. So that's what we call the movie. But yeah, she got me into watching some of these and, and I still don't get excited. Like she'll be like, let's watch this. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I've never, cause I've never <laughs> seen one. And I'm like, I still have hesitations with it, but, and it'd been a long time since I'd seen this one, but I too, like, I really enjoy Humphrey Bogart. So knowing that this was like an early film where he got out of that like gangster kind of weird he accent. He still keeps the he, trench coat and the hat sure, row and the hands sure. in the pockets. And he kind of changes from this movie on. Like when you think about movies that he's in later on, like he, one of my favorites with him is the original Sabrina where he plays Linus. And like, I love that movie. And I didn't love the modern version with like Harrison Ford. Like it was okay. But when you have someone like Humphrey Bogart and then you also have William Holden and Audrey Hepburn, Jesus, like so good. But for me, like I'm with you, like I, it was really cool to watch Humphrey Bogart, like get going. And I just loved how flippant he is in this movie all the time. You can tell. You never know what side he's on. Yeah. And you can tell <laughs> that he's a step ahead of everyone in this movie and it, they never, he never tries to hide it. They don't. So I love that part of it. And that ability to make you go, is he a good guy? Is he going to take, you know, what's he going to do with this? That until the very end, when he really just leans into actually, here's the money that he gave me. And he 100% goes, you know, and I'm you still on the good kind side. of, yeah, you still kind of are left with that because before the cops get there and he gives them all the evidence, he's like, yeah, if you'd brought me the real bird, maybe things would have changed out differently. Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's making this up as he goes and he's deciding what he's going to do, what he's going to say mm-hmm. the entire time through this movie. And you never know yeah. until it wraps up. And yeah, the bird was fake. So I'm sending you to prison because I don't want to go. I think one of the, the other things that wasn't as believable for me, though, when his partner was killed and they had that phone call, like... You're going to have more emotion than that. <laughs> it's going to be more difficult. Like I didn't feel that part. If I'm going to one part that didn't feel believable, it was the emotion behind your business partner, probably for many years being murdered in cold blood. And he just continues to operate. And they'd never really touched upon that emotional aspect at all in this film. And I do think it, I would have liked to have seen more real emotion there. So that actually comes, so this film is based on a book. And I don't know if the book is called The Maltese Falcon, but it's kind of like a detective serial novel from the 40s and the 50s. And so in the book, Samuel Spade, Humphrey Bogart, he's actually looking to disband his relationship with Miles Archer. And so they don't mention that. And if I have a knock on older cinema, because that's kind of, I love old movies. One of the knocks is that they don't tell you stuff like that. They just assume that you've read this book that was popular, that you know the story. Yeah, that would have been very helpful to know. Yeah, so it was like, this dude doesn't and that's why they have care the, that his partner's dead. Yeah. yeah, that's why they have the widow coming in and all these other kind of side stories that 
don't really belong, so to speak. It's because it's from a, a book that people had read and they knew the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really good point. Cause if this was a modern movie, that whole whittle part, I can I already see JJ and I just being like, they oh, didn't yeah. need that. It just detracted from it. Cause it didn't make any sense. But in the book, it makes a lot of sense because there's backstory that takes place that because before all the the shit hits the fan in the book, there's like an introduction to the characters that's pretty in depth. And especially for his character, because like they explain the fact that he's got a thing for his partner's wife. And back then it was a little different in that they assume that you wouldn't just steal some dude's wife and sleep with her. Like you try to get him to leave first. And then break that. You just didn't have an affair as often. At least that's what they try to say. But yeah, so there's a lot of buildup there. And that's why even like then removing his name from the title of the agency or whatever, like it just seems so flippant in this movie. Oh, so abrupt. Yeah, but in the book, like it's there's a lot more to it. And they actually really didn't like each other very much at all. And it adds to the story because I know it, you know, back then they didn't want really, really long movies, even though they had a lot of them. So they left out a lot of details. But in the book, like there's a lot of detail as to why they don't like each other. And and, and it's it's pretty much they've, I think even there's a line, I don't remember exactly, but I think there's even a line in the book where they talk about this is going to be the last case that they work together or something like that. So it was never intended to go any further. So he's not really sad when Miles dies or whatever. So Damn. And so that's kind of the knock on older cinema that I have is that they don't tell you everything, but it's also kind of nice because you have to watch the film and you have to listen to what they're saying because they made these movies, you know, in a time before their cell phones, before their distractions. So you went, when you went to go see a a movie, you watched the movie. And so you have to be paying attention to every little detail so that you can pick up on everything because a seemingly unimportant line will show up a few scenes later and you're like, Oh, there's the connection. Yeah, and I think they tried to show that with, like, the whole he dies and then his widow shows up and she kisses him. And it's like, oh, that's fucking weird. And part of that was if anybody finds out, which they also didn't mention in the movie, but in the books, he's like, if anybody sees you here right after your husband dies, they're going to think I murdered him. Yeah, I got that part. So, but there was so much deeper than that. But he was never intending to, he just was interested, like, in women. So... And he was very having a flame. Yeah. The whole ladies man thing with him was a big thing. But in the The other part is weird is like this whole Wilmer guy character is like this dude is just he's like, say one more thing. What is he gonna just pop 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 pop? Like, whoa, bro, you got like five screws loose. (laughs) Yeah. Which makes him a great gunslinger. (laughs) Because he's got no convictions whatsoever about letting someone live. I would like the kind of the playback between Humphrey Bogart's character and the Wilmer cook. I don't remember who plays him, but the kind of back and forth where it just shows that, you know, Humphrey's got his, this kid's number, right? This kid's trying to be the the tough kind of gunslinger, tough guy. He's got the look, he's got everything, but he doesn't have the skills to back it up. And so like one of my favorite lines of this movie is when Humphrey takes the guns from him, says, let's, you know, this puts you in real well with your boss. And then he like hands them to Sidney Grishy. He's like, nah, Cripple took these. I made him give them back. <laughs> Just he's adding insult on top of insult, on top of insult, on top of the injury. Just really sticking it to this, you know, kid yeah. who he doesn't like. Yeah. At all. 
Humphrey Pogart's got a, a, he's a one punch wonder, just knocks people out right away. <laughs> like, okay. Leading man in Hollywood, you gotta get a. <laughs> yeah. I like to, one of my favorite aspects of this movie, and I think most of like the funny detective movies that have like, I mean, this is not that this movie was funny per se, but like Barton McLean, the guy that plays the Lieutenant Dundee, the guy that's like, he really wants. Humphrey Bogart's character Spade to be the one that's the bad guy. He ends up like making him look like an idiot at the end. Like, and he's, but he's all like, I'm off your list now. Right. Cause here I am. Like, so I, I just enjoyed that dynamic where Gunny was on the friggin' screen. Like he's just like all in Spade's face about being, you know, the bad guy and having murdered whoever. And so I enjoyed that aspect and I've always enjoyed Barton McLean, the guy that plays Dundee. So he's fun. He played in some really bad movies because he was in a lot of <laughs> shitty Westerns, but I like him. He's got one of those faces that you just love to hate. So I enjoyed that dynamic between those two quite a bit. Absolutely. It was almost for me like a Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. and a Scotland Yard kind of vibe to where Humphrey Bogart's like, oh yeah, I did all your job for you and I didn't need your help. Yeah. Um, like you guys were slowing me down. Stop coming around here. I have it handled. But he never tells him that. <laughs> Just kind of running circles around him the entire movie, not really letting him in on any kind of his plans. But yeah, no, this is, I just love this movie so much. <laughs> one, another one that I like is Effie, like his uh, secretary, for lack of a better word. Like Lee Patrick is hilarious in this movie because she just, looks at him with like this pure love and disdain at the same time. Like she knows he's a dick, but she really enjoys like, so, and then their conversations just make me laugh. And so she, when like Wonderly quote unquote Wonderly comes in and Shaughnessy's there and she's like, she's a real knockout. Like just knowing that the way he's going to get her to, she's going to get him to see her for, to take this job is to say that she's sexy. Like, and she just says it was such disdain and every time they talk like oh fuck it just yeah Effie Perrin is yeah, one of my, my favorite boss characters called me at, yeah my boss called me at 2am and said hey uh go break the news that Miles is dead to his wife <laughs> yeah, thanks exactly <laughs> like, what? What? no <laughs> this is your job and I don't want to um, do it yeah, because just, I might have slept yeah, with her like <laughs> yeah. she's just like why are you doing this yeah. you know like uh I, I tried to keep her never told me how to do that uh, <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Good employees back then. Honestly, a job market market must have been crazy. That's a different kind of worker then. I think this is one of the few movies where I can't uh, can think of how many guns that were pulled out and how little shooting actually happened. (laughs) Yep. That's because they actually shot people. You know, there was no special effects. So when someone got shot, they just... (laughs) Filled them full of lead, and that was their, you know, that was the end of their, their widow. Yeah, yeah, sent their widow a stipend. <laughs> Poor old Brad Pitt, in a, who <laughs> reviewed a movie way back when, The Lost City. He would have just his brains splattered everywhere. He'd been done. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, done for good. Love so it. that's that's a good thing about special effects is now you can kill more people on screen. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. And then they get to be in another movie. All right. Probably a shorter episode than we're used to. Is anything we? But I'm ready to rate this thing. We ready to rate it? I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I said. Like to even talking about this movie more. Like 
it's wrong to say it's a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just a very different movie than if you don't watch older movies, you have to kind of get your head in the right place and kind of try and put yourself back in that time period, understand the mannerisms. Dialogue was more important because I, I can't remember if it was JJ or Alec and said, like, yeah, the phones were something you picked up, said, hey, I need so-and-so, talk to them, put it down. And then you read your newspaper and you talk to people where today you can listen to music, you can watch whatever you want on your phone, computer, TV, all the stuff. And so in a movie like that, dialogue was king. And it really shows like the, the dialogue and the story of this movie were solid. The acting in this movie was solid. But does it translate to a movie for me that was enjoyable where I want to watch it again and I was fully engrossed with trying to figure out the, the mystery of the Maltese Falcon and the different players in there? No, it wasn't. I didn't enjoy watching this movie for that. I like halfway through, I was like, ah, like I got to do it for the podcast kind of thing. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't watch this movie. But some of, as I mentioned earlier, some of the, as you start to get into the 50s and 60s, like Alec made the comment about you have to crawl before you can walk. This movie was one of those foundational movies that helped them continue on moving forward into where I really believe the golden age of cinema, where now these days we lean so heavily on special effects and actors that look beautiful and have had one good movie They're, They have star power that gets us to screens. We've kind of regressed in a lot of ways where many of the movies we see today they don't have good plots. They really don't have good acting. They just have good special effects or star power to carry them through. And with the Maltese Falcon, I think it had the foundations of what good cinema is. It's just not my cup of tea. So it's, I'm not here to say it was a bad movie. It's just not something I gravitate towards. So for that, like, I'm going to give it a two just because it's not something that I gravitate on screen. But again, I, to let the audience, it's not a bad movie. Like, especially if you like older movies, I can see why the potential is there. It's just not something that keeps me glued to the screen. Sure. Yeah. I, I like this movie. It's not my favorite older movie, but I, I do love, like you said, the things that come out of it are really fun. And I love Humphrey Bogart. I really enjoy the trio of, like you talked about Alec with, with Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre. And, and I've always enjoyed Peter Lorre's just, mm -hmm, he's good stuff. And then Sydney green street, like these guys are very interesting to watch. So it was really cool to be able to watch that again and go back and see it. Now it's not my favorite Humphrey Bogart. I think, God, I really just love Casablanca. It's so good. And Ingrid Bergman is like my really old lady crush like i love ingrid bergman so like you say the, the, the further on you move like i again i really like sabrina a lot so but it's also like you said too a launching point for a lot of twisty and turny detective movies that really got big later and even now like i mean we yeah, like dick tracy yeah and you got knives out that's come i mean we've got all these movies that have that really big twist and this is one of the first ones that did it that way right and i think they did a fun job of the fact that then it leaves you guessing was there is there ever a real one i mean is there a real falcon out there is it not so like, there's a lot of conversations to be had based on this movie and and I love a movie that's that's full of good acting. And it, like I said, it's probably been a decade or more since I've watched this movie. Really had fun watching it. Glad that you drug it out of the 
the basement of old movies for me to watch and start getting into it. Look forward to some more. So I'm going to give this movie a three and a half. It's not, again, it's not my favorite of the old, old movies, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was fun to go back and watch the, uh, you know, the twists and the good acting and the, the crazy dialogue and the fact that we get back to the core of what makes a movie fun and especially those movies really good. So yeah, that's, I will watch this again at some point because I, I think it's fun, but all right, Alec. Bring us home on your recommended movie, my friend. Absolutely. So this is one of my favorite old movies, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I do not think it's one of the best made movies that has ever been made. I would put it in the top 100, but kind of nearer 100 than one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love this because it almost set up in a way Casablanca, which I mm-hmm. you know JJ talked about this, but I believe Casablanca is hands down the greatest movie ever made. And a lot of the chemistry comes from those three main guys, Peter Laurie, Cindy Greenstreet, and Humphrey Bogart acting together and kind of really coming into their own all at the same time, which kind of made Casablanca be a, a standout movie. I enjoy in older films, they, they have shots that don't really make a whole lot of sense, but are very kind of cool. Like, you know, the foreshadowing of the spade and Archer from the window on the floor, the very next scene, Miles Archer gets shot when he burns the letter or the address and he puts it into the kind of ashtray and it focuses on that. So these, in older cinema, they have these shots that today we wouldn't, you know, like that's kind of dumb why they do that. There's nothing going on, but it was all very artistic and all very kind of focusing on this. And you'll see these, these kind of shots in pretty much every single older movie where they focus in on something that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for us, but it's, I think it's very artistic. I think it's very cool. This movie for me is it's a four really, really enjoy it. Definitely watching it again. I mean, it's, it's one of those that you can pull out like every year, every couple of years and kind of watch it for just a good time. I pull it out about every month and Mm. put it on. So (laughs) I'm a little bit more frequent than most, but I definitely watch this movie again. I love it. It's a good one. Yeah. When you find your, your thing, man, I, I love it. Well, I'm looking at your list. Like I won't go through it because we're going to watch them, but I, I look at your list and I'm like, I don't oh, fuck. Dude, this guy likes seen before 1955. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> fucking Alec like some movies that I just did not see coming, which I'm, yeah, it's exciting. I, I'm excited. I, I don't fit the bill, but I took a film analysis course. Oh, did you? Three months of college. It was, that's where this I first be, kind of saw these movies. This nice. would be good for me because like all the movies on here, I haven't really seen any of them and I know that I need to. So good. I will. <laughs> Pretty I much will all make that 1001 movies listening you to see before you. Yeah. I will out you on one. I can't wait to watch The Great Dictator. That is one of the greatest monologues yeah. ever written, period. And so, yeah, I'm, that'll be fun. I, yeah, The Great Dictator is an interesting movie that doesn't, nobody talks about it anymore. But Charlie Chaplin, in my opinion, is a, one of the most. He got a bad rub. Dude, like, and he's a fucking genius, man. That guy, something else. So anyway, Great Dictator. I'm looking forward to that one too. So cool. Yeah, there it is. Uh, the Maltese Falcon, a pretty good movie, especially for an older movie. It may not be your thing. That's cool, but check it out. Give it a chance. See what you think. With that, Madison, tell everybody where they can find us. Yeah, yeah. You can find us on whatsverdict.com. See what's upcoming for the, the current month that we're in. And also to check us out on social media on, on Facebook and Instagram, as well as where all good podcasts can be found. So come give us a listen. Uh, we're excited to infuse some of these older movies and just movies that we've enjoyed in our past, as well as JJ said that we have come to find that not every new movie 
deserves a review. That is very true. Cool. So as always, we appreciate you tuning in. Catch you on the next one. Bye. Cinematic out.